How many of you guys have been lied to? Okay, that's most of us. How many of you guys have ever believed a lie? Like someone lied to you and you believed it. Brooklyn thinks I'm the most gullible person ever, but I don't I don't believe it. Are you gullible? I'm 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 actually very gullible. Like she can tell me that gullible is written on the ceiling and I'll look for it. I'm like, what do you mean? I don't see it. It's not up there. So lying happens. It's not good to lie, but it's even like worse whenever you lie and like you believe it because you're like, I, I don't understand. Like, have you guys ever got scammed before? Like someone sends you like a text message and then you lose your identity. No, I'm just kidding. No, not that. That, that stinks. That stuff like that, that is terrible. Okay, we'll, we'll finish the story in small groups. So, we're reading Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. I know, I know, I know. It's, the vibe isn't right because we had to walk away from worship, but pretend like worship just happened. So, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and pull them out. If you don't, you can use the screen. If you have a phone, I would encourage you to put that away because I don't know if you're texting or what you're doing. Um, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7, or you can take notes, but you got to show me the notes afterwards. So now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. For it says that when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive and he gave gifts to people. But what, is it, what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth? The one who has descended is also the one who has ascended far above all the heaven to fill all things. So right here, Paul is, he's tying our calling and our giftings to the work that Jesus did for us. Because what Paul is doing here, he's actually quoting a different part of the Bible. He's quoting Psalms chapter 68. In Psalms chapter 68, it refers to God as a divine warrior that is all-powerful and that is strong and that can defeat any enemy. That's what Psalm 68 is all about. And Paul is quoting about that. And Paul, he's trying again to get us to understand that the God that we serve is completely powerful and that nobody stands a chance against him. God has all the power that is necessary to save you and to deliver you and to set you free. And that's what Paul is trying to get out. He's like, God is all powerful. There's nobody that stands against. And so Paul, he's intentionally pulling on this image of God as being powerful. And he's saying that Jesus is that divine warrior. Jesus is that God that is all powerful. It says he took the captives captive. Like that's a weird kind of phrase, but Paul, he's saying that deliberately. Like he's almost saying that like he, he put, he bullies bullies, right? He enslaves the slaves. He encaptures the captures. That is what Paul, like Paul is saying. He's like, this is Jesus. Jesus did this for us. He put into prison the things that you were a slave to. He bound the things that you were a slave to. Jesus killed the power of death. This is kind of what Paul's saying. It's like the worst things possible. Jesus did the worst things possible to the worst things possible. In Jesus, you are no longer a slave to fear. 
You don't have to be afraid of measuring up. You don't have to be afraid of being worthy. You don't have to be afraid of any outcomes, of any uncertainties, of any future. In Jesus, you are no longer a slave to depression. You're no longer a slave to any kind of worry, any kind of anxiety. You're no longer a slave to false ideas, to lies that come in that try to deceive you. You're no longer a slave to sin. And yes, we might struggle with these things, like these things might still come and struggle us, but the Bible is very clear that we do not have to be a slave to these anymore. We all will still struggle with sin. We'll all still struggle with some kind of anxiety, but we are no longer a slave to that. Before Jesus, and in any one of us who are not in Jesus, the Bible says clearly you are a slave to sin. There's no way out of that for you. But when you are in Christ, we still have that battle, but you're no longer a slave to that. In Jesus, in Jesus alone, there's freedom. He took the captives captive. And this is what it means that he had descended into the lower parts of the earth. Most scholars agree that whenever Jesus died on the cross, that he actually entered into hell like the, the physical hell, like where Satan lives, and he defeated Satan, and then he, but he didn't stay there because the power of hell, the power of Satan had no authority to keep Jesus there because Jesus was sinless. And so when Jesus uh, defeated the powers of death, hell, and the grave, he rose from the dead, and then he ascended in heaven. That's what Paul is saying, like he ascended to the highest place. He defeated the enemy, but what does it mean he ascended except for he descended? This again shows the, supreme, the supremacy of Jesus over all things. Jesus is all-powerful. He has everything that he needs to free you from your addictions, to free you from your sin, that whenever you call on, he, on, on Jesus, that he will hear you and he will save you and he will deliver you. There's nothing that can keep Jesus from doing that. Paul continues in verse 11. But let's, let's remember what he just said in verse 10. Or in that song. The psalm, he says, he took the captives captive to give gifts to people. And then in verse 11, he says, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's son, growing into maturity with the stature measured by Christ's fullness, Then we'll be no longer little children, tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, which is Christ. From him the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love and proper working of each individual part. Paul, I mean, he's very clear and concise there, right? Um, But basically, let's summarize what Paul was saying there. Jesus won the war whenever he defeated the devil. The battle has already been won. The victory is already secure for us. The devil is a defeated enemy, but he has still limited freedom to wage war against us, to get us to try to turn from him. And so there is a very real spiritual war happening for our souls and for the souls of non-believers. And that is the mission that Jesus has given us. He says there's a very real war. There's still people who have not chose to follow me, and they're following after lies. They're going into sin. They're going into temptation. There are people that need to hear my word word and my gospel. And so Jesus has given all of us a mission to preach the good news to everybody. This is Jesus's mission that he gave us, 
that he gave to us. And this is a mission that not one of us can do by ourselves. And that is why it's so important for us to have unity. We talked about unity the last couple of weeks uh, of forgiveness and, and being of one accord. That's why it's so important for us to be united, to be one front and to be one person and to use our gifts for our specific purpose. What Paul is saying is that all of us have different gifts and different callings that whenever you put them together, they work for one single purpose. In other books of the Bible, everyone like has a body. So Paul, he uses the analogy of a body. He says, some people are like an eye. Some people are like an ear. Some people are like a hand. Some are like a foot. Like if a foot wants to be, like doesn't do what it's supposed to do, that body is not being a hundred percent effective. It takes every part of your body working together to be whole, to, to work together to accomplish whatever mission that it is. And so Paul, he uses that analogy in other places, but here he's saying like every single supporting ligament working together, it takes all of us working together to fulfill the mission. So all of us have different callings, all of us have different purposes, and all of us have different gifts. God has given us different gifts and different passions that whenever we find out what those are and use them, we can complete God's kingdom, his mission. And we see in verse 11, um, Paul, he's not specifically given us all the different kind of gifts that he does. That's in other parts of the Bible. But here he's talking about different leadership roles. Um, and the leadership roles of the apostle, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. And then I would love to dive into every single one of those and, and to dive in like what are those all for and what are we qualified for those. But for time's sake, I think it's important to understand why God has given us leaders in the first place. God has given us spiritual leaders, and most of us, the, the main spiritual leader that we have in our lives is either a pastor or a teacher. God has given us spir- spiritual leaders, not for them to do the ministry, but to equip the saints, which is all of us, it's all of you, to do the work of the ministry and to build up the church. Because think about it, like one person can't do everything to fulfill a mission. That's like saying like, like you have a body, but only the head is going to work. That's a body that's not moving. That's a body that's paralyzed. It's the same way. Like One person can't do the ministry. So the, the leader's roles that we have is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And some churches like have the false assumption that it's the pastor's job to do every single thing. And let me tell you, that is a church that's not growing. That's a church that's not reaching the lost. And that's a church that's not fulfilling the mission. The pastor's job and the leader's job is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Because if the more people that are involved in doing the work of the ministry, the healthier that church and the more is being done and the more people are being reached. It's the people's job. It, it, it's your job to invite people to church, to share the gospel, to, to give hope to those who need hope, to open doors for people who are coming into the church, to hold babies while church is going on, to serve donuts, to, to take out the trash, all the different single roles that happens for a church to happen. It is your job to fill and find those roles. And think about it on a very practical level. Like I come to some of your schools, some of you guys, I, I can't make it to them, but I can't single-handedly invite every single person to come to church. I don't have a personal relationship with your friends. I don't have a personal relationship with your parents or your siblings. I can't share the gospel with everyone that you're in contact with. But what I can do is share the gospel with you, and it so affects you, it transforms you, that you share with other people, and it changes them, and it transforms them, and, it, and they share with other people. And that is how the church grows. That is a, a sign of a healthy church is the church doing the work 
of the ministry. And of course, a good pastor and a good leader is an example of all those things, of what it looks like to, to be a servant, to, to open doors, to take out the trash. But ultimately, a good pastor knows his role to teach God's word, to better equip the saints. And it's important to have good and godly leaders that know the Bible through and through and who can communicate that because we live in a world that is filled with false ideas that keep us from fulfilling God's calling in our lives. And I hope you, what you hear from this is that whenever you guys graduate high school and you guys go into college or you guys leave Quita, you, you go somewhere else and you're forced to find another church, I hope you find a church that has godly leaders and godly pastors that are equipping you and preaching the gospel because we live in a world and a time that there are so many false things for us to believe. It is so important for you to get in, in connected to a church. And you guys are here right now, so you guys are connected to this church, but it's important for you to always be connected to a church. And we're going to go into that because there's so many false ideas and, and, and false things that are keeping us from fulfilling God's calling. That's what Paul is saying in, in, in the rest of this. In verse 12, he says, the pastor's job, the, the leader's job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry and to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity and faith and a knowledge of God's Son, growing together or growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we'll be no longer little children. This is the goal, that we'll no longer be little children, tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching. When someone comes in with a false teaching or a false idea, by human cunning or cleverness with techniques of deceit, but speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, which is Christ. And we know from all this series that we did in the spring of what would Jesus do, the goal of being a Christian is not just to get saved. Like you don't come to church just so you can raise your hand and just so you can feel saved and so you don't have to worry about anything else anymore. That's not the goal. The goal isn't just to get people to say, I'm a Christian. The goal for every single one of us is to get you to enter that relationship with Jesus, to say that you're a Christian, to get saved, and then to grow into more like Jesus. Or as Paul would say here, to grow into a mature stature in the fullness of Christ. That's Paul's way of saying the goal is for all of us to grow deeper in our faith and deeper in our knowledge of God so that we can become more like Jesus. If your goal is just to make it to heaven whenever you die, that's a, a small goal. And if that's just your goal, I'm afraid you might not make it that. Your, if your, your goal should be to become like Jesus in every single way. We become like Jesus by growing in our faith and our knowledge of him. And that takes someone speaking truth and love to us. And that takes us speaking truth and love in others. And it takes us being able to receive truth. Because truth, if it's really true, it's not always easy to hear, and it's not always easy to, to communicate. And let me tell you, today, in, in our day and hour, in the, in the day and hour that we're going to enter into, it is more important today than ever to believe the truth and to speak the truth, because that is how we defend against the attacks of the devil, because he can only attack us with lies. The only way the devil can attack us is with lies. So the best definition I know for truth, and I didn't put this up there, so I'm sorry, but the best definition I know for truth is reality or that which corresponds to reality. Truth is basically what we can rely on as real. Like the, the chair you're sitting on, that's real. Like the air we're breathing, that's reality. Jesus, he is 
reality. Truth is what we can believe and rely on as real. So whenever we call something a lie, which is the opposite of truth, we mean that it does not correspond to reality. So then we have to figure out what's reality, what's not reality. And that's how we fall into the slavery of sin. Because Jesus and other people in the New Testament, they worked off this core conviction that deception is tied to temptation. And temptation is tied to slavery, to sin. And it is the truth that will set you free. I'm going to say that again. Deception, lies, false ideas, that is always tied to temptation. And temptation, whenever we act on it, always leads to slavery, to sin. But truth sets us free. That's why Jesus says in John that the Son will set you free, or you're free indeed if the Son sets you free. It's by truth that we're set free because it's by deceptions that we fall into temptation and lies. Think about it. The devil can't actually make us do anything. Like you think, oh, the devil made me do it. That's, that's something that's wrong. The devil can't make you do anything. He can't, if you are a Christian, if you have Jesus living inside you, if you have the Holy Spirit living inside you, the devil can't come inside of you and make you sin and make you do anything that's bad. We do it by choice. We all have a flesh. Like we know that there's the world, the flesh, and the devil. The devil is the, the spiritual being that's lying and deceiving. The flesh is the animalistic drive inside of us that has the desire to do bad. And then the world is the culture that is just gone in the way of the, the, the devil and the flesh. But the devil can't make us do anything. We have to choose it. Whenever we sin, it's because we did it by choice. The devil didn't make you do it. You did it by choice. Whenever we lie or we cheat or we steal or we get our emotions or emotions get the best of us, we're going to feed our flesh. That's, remember that question that we ask in small groups every week? How did you feed your flesh? Whenever we feed our flesh, it's always a choice. Sometimes we don't actually make that deliberate choice, but it's always a choice. And to get us to choose evil, think about it. Like, why would we ever deliberately choose to do evil? Like, that doesn't make sense. We say we love Jesus. Jesus lives inside of us. We worship. We praise Jesus. We just got done praising him. So why would we leave here and choose to do something that is evil and against the character of God? It doesn't make sense, except we so easily believe lies and deception. And to get us to choose that evil, because remember, all sin and all temptation is evil. Like, there's no black or white or no gray area in that. To choose the sin is always evil. To follow Jesus is holiness. To get us to choose evil, our enemy, he has to trick us. The devil has to trick us to walk down a path that is different from the path that Jesus told us to walk down. And he does that by making it seem like the other path will lead to some kind of happiness or some kind of comfort or some kind of fulfillment or some kind of satisfaction that you can't find in Jesus and in his word. That's the only way that we fall into that. Because if we knew, like if we just knew how destructive the sin that we're about to do was, we wouldn't do it. If we knew that if I just look at this image and, and, and see down the future how dark your life is going to get and how all the ruin and all the decay and what that's doing to your spirit, if we see that, we would never choose to do that evil. If we knew how bad it's going to hurt our friend to talk about them behind their back, if we knew how bad it's going to hurt somebody whenever we let our emotions get the best of us and we blew up, if we just saw how destructive and evil our evil choices were, we would never do it. But the devil, he makes us think like it, it, it's so much more fulfilling. If you just go this way, 
Like, he doesn't even get us to think bad about the way of Jesus, but he gets, like, no, this, here's just a different way. If you go down this way, like, it, it'll feel good. It, it'll, it'll be good. Like, you need to get those emotions out. You need to have that, that anger. You need to release that. You need to talk about that person. You'll have satisfaction. You'll find fulfillment. You'll find some kind of happiness. And maybe you do for a second, but it's never lasting. It, it only lasts for a second, and it's gone. And if we knew how evil and destructive that was, we would have never chose that in the first place. And the primary way of the devil gets us to do this by illusion and by lies. And so one way to think about temptation is to see all temptation as an appeal to believe a lie. It's to believe an illusion about reality. So that makes us the question, so what is reality? Like if, if temptation and evil, that's, that's following illusion, then what is reality? Reality is following the way of Jesus. It's, it's following him. It's, it's relying on the truth of the scriptures. It's, it's relying on the gospel. The, the, what Jesus lays out for us is reality by definition because following after our sin and temptation is deception. Then Jesus is reality. The, what is reality is that Jesus is God in the flesh. He came in the flesh and he died on the cross in your place 2,000 years ago. And whenever he did that, it, it satisfied all the wrath of God that he had for us. And then he rose from the dead. And because of that fact, we can now be near to God whenever we were separated by him before. And we can come to God. And because of that, we can confess our sins and we can repent. And when we do that, God promises to hear us and to forgive us. And he promises that you were dead in your sins. But when you come to him, you can be made alive. That is truth. And that is reality. That is following the way of Jesus. And we know it's truth, and we know it's reality because the Bible is trustworthy. The Bible is God's word, and it is trustworthy. There's no other book in the world that is like the Bible. There's no other book ever that's, that's like the Bible. Think about it. The Bible was written in a, over a period of 1,000 years by 40 different people. And these 40 different people, most of them didn't know each other because it was written over a period of 1,000 years. And it was written in three different original languages. It was written in, in Hebrew, it was written in Aramaic, and it was written in Greek. And it was written on three different continents. So none of these people knew each other. They were writing in different cultures, in different contexts, in different languages. And yet, the Bible is the most cohesive story that has ever been written. From the very first page to the very last page, and every page in between is a cohesive story story of the gospel of how God, how we were separated from God and how God is setting up a rescue plan to save us and deliver us. And they talked about how Jesus did that and how we should live after that, what the world's going to look like after all this is said and done. The Bible is trustworthy. We must believe the truth and speak the truth in love and allow others to speak truth into us. That is the only way that we as a, as a people group, as we as, as Christians and we as a church can defend against the attacks of the enemy is to allow people to speak truth into us. And it's hard. Truth is never good. But we have to allow others to speak truth into us. Like, hey, I see you going down our wrong path. And it's wrong because the Bible says this. And, and I'm telling you this because I love you because this path is leading to destruction. But I want you to come to the path of life. That's hard to do. Especially whenever we have gone down the wrong path. We're like, I, I can't tell anyone not to go that path. I, I, I've been down that path before. What if they say, but, but what about you? We can't worry about that. 
can't worry about always being called a hypocrite. Otherwise, none of us would ever be able to call someone out and bring them into the light because all of us have fallen short. All of us have, have gone down that temptation. All of us have messed up. But we can't let that stop us from whenever we see somebody going down a wrong path, doing something that's hurtful, saying something that's ugly, saying something that's mean, doing something that is obvious or wrong. We can't let that, us, let that stop us from saying, hey, maybe we should follow Jesus in this way. We have to be able to speak truth in love. And also, whenever we're on the receiving end of that, allow people to speak truth and love into us. That is the only way that we can stay unified. That is the only way that we can be one person, as Paul talks about. And that is the only way the church moves forward in a world that is full of lies and deception. Outside of the church, outside of people who believe in the truth of Scripture, there's no group of people that are calling people out in love. There's nobody that's saying, hey, you're doing this wrong, and I'm telling you this because I love you so that we can all be on the right path. There's nowhere you're going to find that in the world. It's only in the context of the church because we have a single foundation that we can rely on, that we can all agree this is the truth, this is the right way to live. We all need to be on the same page. And so, before we're in, and this isn't necessarily the end of the message, with every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around, the truth tonight, and this is a hard truth to hear for some of you, the truth of you tonight that if you're not following Jesus, if you're not living in an active relationship with Jesus, then you are dead in your sins and you need to repent and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That's the, that sounds like the mean side of this, but that is the truth side. And we know on the other side of accepting Jesus and walking in the light and walking as if he is truly the Lord and master of your life, that there is so much joy and satisfaction. But if you would say, I don't know if I'm walking in truth. I don't know if I have a relationship with Jesus. I'm not sure if I died, if I, if I would make it into heaven because I'm not actively trying to become like him. I need to repent. I need to confess. I need to, to say yes to Jesus. I need to accept him as my Lord and Savior. I need to do that. If that's you and if you've never said yes to him, you never actually committed your life to following Jesus, and you want to tonight, I want you just to raise your hand and so that we know who we're praying with tonight. I see that in the back. I know it's a little awkward. There's no music, but if, if that's you, if you want to make sure, you want to know that you're following Jesus, you want to make that commitment to make him your Lord and Savior, who else in here? I believe God's calling on, tugging on someone else's heart tonight. Okay, I want you guys to say this prayer after me for that person who's saying it, maybe for the first time in meaning it. Say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins and cleanse me of my unrighteousness. God, I pray you make me new. Make me to be just like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the cool thing is that the Bible says that whenever we say that and we mean it, it's not about saying a magic prayer. It's not about saying a, a, a certain amount of words in order. But whenever we truly come to God and we repent of our sins and we say, Jesus, you're right and I'm wrong. God, forgive me. Make me new. God promises to save you. He takes the captives captive. That sin in your life is no longer going to be a problem or it's going to be a problem, but it doesn't have to make you a slave to that anymore, that you are now set free and forgiven. And so now here is what we do with this message. We all have a part to play. 
If we say that we are in Christ, if we say that we love Jesus, we all have a part to play, whether you're a new Christian or you're an old Christian, whether it's your first day to follow Jesus or you've been following Jesus all your life, we all have a part to play in the church and in the kingdom. So we need to find our gift and fill our role and then fulfill the mission of the kingdom. So the mission, of course, we know it's too big for any of us to do by ourselves, and so it takes all of us. So ask yourself, like, what is your role? Like, your role as a church member is not just to come to church to hear a message and then leave and feel good or feel bad, depending on the message. Your role as a church member is not just to come to church to get fed or to hear the Bible. Your role as a church member, what, you have to ask yourself, what is your role as a church member? What is your passion? What is your gift? What is a specific passion that God has given you? What is a specific gift or talent that God has given you? Like whenever I started like, or I heard before, like talking about callings and giftings, like what is my ultimate calling? What's God's will for my life? The questions you ask is what is my passion? What gets me excited? What gets me out of bed in the morning? What is the, what is the thing that just gets me so excited? And then what is a need in the world? What is, a, what is a, a need that you see in the world that needs to be fixed, that needs to be solved? And whenever those two things cross, that is your calling in life. It's like, what is the greatest need in the world? And what is your passion? And where do those two things intersect? Like your passion could be, like, I just love helping people. I love seeing people be made new. I love seeing people uh, find healing. And then you know there's a lot of diseases, there's cancer, there's all that kind of stuff. And so you meet, see those two things, like I feel like God's calling me to be a doctor because there's darkness in the world with, it, with sickness, and I want people to be healed. And so you find that, and you're like, okay, maybe God's calling me to be a doctor. Or maybe you're a talent, or like you're a musician. And let me tell you, if you're a musician, there's a lot of roles for you in the church. Like, come on, if you can play guitar, you can play bass. We have a, you have a role, we have a specific place for you tonight if you want to use your calling, right? Keyboard players, we need some more people to play keys, to play guitars, all that kind of stuff. If you like tech, you like computers, you like video games, we have specific roles in the church for you to help expand God's kingdom, even if you like tech stuff. It's right there in the sound booth, all right? So... We have, like, think about it. Like, all of us have specific talents. All of us have specific gifts. Like, some of us, we don't know what those are yet. That's fine. We're about to take a test and find out. But we all have specific talents and gifts. And, and you should ask yourself, what is my gift? What is my talent? And how can I use that to extend God's kingdom? Some of you guys are people people, like people persons. If that is you, like you just love like making people feel special, then use that gift to make people feel special, to feel welcome when they come into church, to make them feel encouraged. If you're a Bible nerd like me, use that to find truth about God's scripture, to explain his truths, find encouragement and share that. Every single one of us, we have gifts and talents, and that's because God has put a specific calling on every single one of our lives.